Good morning. My name is Jeff, and it's a joy to serve as one of the lay elders here at Mosaic. Um, if this is your first time here, we're in the middle of our fourth summer in the psalm series, Anatomy of the Soul, where we investigate how, uh, how the psalms speak into and encourage our emotional life in the presence of God. For a little peek behind the curtain, in the spring, um, we plan out our sermon schedule for who is preaching when and what psalm each of us will preach from. Outside of that, um, there's no discussion of themes for alignment, but we simply let the Spirit speak into our hearts and desires for Mosaic Church. With that said, uh, I was encouraged to see the way that the Lord aligned our hearts as an elder team as I sat under the preaching of other pastors this summer, um, specifically uh, the ways that other elders have addressed our lives of worship. Kyle Worley, in the first week of the Psalms, invited us into a worship reset, encouraging us into a joyful excitement and holy reverence um, in worship. Um, He invited us into responsiveness in our voices as we sing and shout and we're already doing that. Just sitting under, um, just hearing your voices this morning, um, it's just really sweet to see that um, response already. Next, he invites us into a responsiveness in our bodies as we move in worship, leaving our tendencies as the frozen chosen wanting to sit still during worship. And lastly, responsiveness in our attention as we strive to limit distractions in worship. A couple weeks later, Pastor Robert encouraged us in the context of worshiping God Um, With his people and the joyful messiness that comes along with that, we were made to worship together in community as we root ourselves in God and flourish. I love that the Lord is working in the ways we worship and want to continue to pour into that and investigate who and why we worship. Psalm 33 is a call to worship with some instruction, but it ultimately points us to doctrine of who God is and why he is worthy of our praise. Read with me in Psalm 33. Psalm 33 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melodies to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the, breath of all, uh, by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his hearts to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who help in his, hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm 33 is an immediate response to worship called for as we receive forgiveness in the previous psalm, Psalm 32. The end of the Psalm 32, it says, uh, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And without skipping a beat, Psalm 33 repeats it, repeats that call saying, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright, emphasizing and entering into that call to worship. The psalmist is inviting us to sing, to shout and give thanks with lyre and harp of ten strings. I think anyway. Um, the next part is where I want to spend some time. He says, sing a new song to him. We see the phrase, sing a new song, in other places in the psalm and in Revelation where it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. They hear what God has done and what he is doing and declare a new song that he is worthy, singing a hymn of victory. Now, I don't think the call, um, that the call here for singing a new song is to keep uh, music fresh in the worship context, but more of an invitation of revival. And when we give praise, we do it as if we were hearing this good news for the first time or refreshed in knowing who we are and who we are worshiping. But if we are speaking in the music context, a song hits differently for the first time as opposed to the hundredth time. We see this in worship music, but I'm also thinking back to the first time I heard the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, and thought, man, this song slaps. But when that song is on repeat, it starts to lose its effect. But it's not because the song loses its substance or groove or just the cool factor, um, but maybe it starts to turn slightly annoying because you hear it over and over. Um, we can apply this concept in our praise and other things of this world. There have been times where I'm out to eat, take a bite of something out of this world and catch myself humming a new song or maybe even closing my eyes, posturing my body in a way of worship. And apparently, I see that trait is hereditary. Um, as I see my daughter over there, she does a happy dance when she eats something she likes, most likely mac and cheese, but um, there are much better things than that. But mac and cheese is where it hits. Um, now, this isn't a discouragement towards singing the same songs week over week, um, but it's an opportunity to be refreshed in the truths of the songs that we're singing. There's a reason why there's lasting power in hymns and Christmas carols, but it's easy to fall through going to the motions or um, going into autopilot as we're singing in worship. My prayer oftentimes in worship or in the Christmas season is that we would see past the familiarity of the songs that we're singing and, uh, and sing them as if we're hearing them for the first time, reminding ourselves why we are worshiping. Almost the opposite of distraction of worship is falling into going through the motions or autopilot when we sing. The next two verses root us in God's loving character and intentions for our good, which make the truths we are about to dig into something worthy of praising or singing a new song as we'll dig into. It says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, we need to remember this as we continue, as we root ourselves in God's steadfast love, that he is upright and faithful. When you meet someone who's extremely passionate um, talking about or praising a hobby, a sports team, maybe even themselves, it generally comes out of an overflow of familiarity with that subject or knowledge of that subject. Now, the same is true of God. The more we understand who God is, the more we are drawn to praise and worship. Here, the psalmist is inviting us to praise, then sharing attributes of God that are relevant for the time stirring up our lives of worship. The truths of God 
or doctrine lead us to sing a new song. And while we might have heard these truths or theology or bits of doctrine, it hits different when it's experienced in the context of a loving, faithful God. Our lack of worship doesn't come out of knowing too much about God, but knowing him intimately and experiencing God personally will pull us out of that lack. Yes, the Psalms, they're a place of our emotions and exploring that with God, but here we also see it as a place of rich theology that leads us to worship. The psalmist is saying, here is who God is, so let's worship. Now the encouragement I want you to see today, regardless if you find your uh, lives of worship stale or flourishing, or flourishing, is to behold God for all that he is and to see, uh, sing anew. To behold God and to sing refreshed. In the song, we'll dig into four attributes of God that point us to worship, to sing a new song, or to sing a victory hymn. The first, um, sing a new song or worship refreshed because God is creator. He created all things. Next, he'll invite us to sing a new song or worship comforted because God is sovereign. He is in control. Next, he'll invite us to sing a new song or worship at peace because God is omniscient. He sees all things. And lastly, he'll invite us to sing a new song or worship redeemed because God is deliverer. First, God as creator. In verse 6 through 7, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Now, when you see a painting or hear a song or even taste a dish like I mentioned before, our appreciation doesn't end on the creation itself it generally turns to the creator, giving compliments to the chef, chef's kiss, or composers, or artists, whatever it is that the creation is. Now, the same is true of God in creation. Whether you know the creator or not, there's something that that creation rolls up to. Now, growing up, um, I always had this fantasized view of deep sea fishing in my head, the idea of going out to calm blue water, sun shining, reeling in massive fish, um, I had the opportunity in high school to go on a deep-sea fishing trip um, out to Fort Bragg, northern coast of California, and uh, we woke up super early to go on that trip. We drove from Reno to meet the captain of the boat before the sun came up, and this whole drive, I was holding on to this fantasy in my head of calm blue water, Um, but that fantasy started to uh, slowly go away. As the sun came up, the cloud started to, or the cloud stayed there, so that kind of squashed my idea of a sunny day. And then as we started to pull out into the bay, my idea of calm water uh, it slowly turned into a nightmare um, as uh, I felt like I was an episode of The Deadliest Catch. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> um, but where the psalmist says he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, felt way more real than I would desire. But something about that left me in awe, looking out barely keeping my balance to what felt like mountains of water left me feeling small and, awe, and, and in awe of what I later learned that God could speak one word and calm those seas. I'm not lying when I say the hills or heaps of water were about the the size of any hill you encounter in Texas hill country, and with one word, God can move those mountains or hills and calm that water. Now, experiencing this creation from that perspective might not have led me to sing a new song. I may have needed a new pair of shorts after that, but there have been countless times where I've been out Um, and about peacefully with the safety of two feet on the floor, experiencing creation and the ability to worship the creator who spoke that beauty into existence. The psalm continues to say, let all the earth fear the Lord, let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. This truth 
knowing that God created all things and can command all things, should point us to worship refreshed, knowing that he created it all, and to sing a new song. Now, I'd encourage you as you continue out and about in your summer vacations or as those wrap up, that you would just roll that um, experience up to God as you experience creation or taste a dish, um, go to a barbecue that um, God has created and created all things. Now, because God created, he has authority over creation. Verse 10 through 12, it says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his hearts to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now for some, this might sound like bad news. Ultimately, that was my story and what led me to the Lord. I wanted to be in control and believe that I was and found the end of myself learning that God had me and knew me and for my good had control. Where it says he brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and he frustrates the plans of the people. This is hard for the control freak planner in me, and I'm sure for some of you, um, I don't want my plans frustrated, especially when I think I have the perfect day planned out. But ultimately, this is comforting to know that the Lord's plans are bigger than mine and bigger than the current moment that we find ourselves in, especially knowing that coming from the context of his steadfast love leads us to a place of comfort. Now, we see division under various counsel, and um, that we might see superior in our lives, but knowing that the Lord's counsel is eternal, we always provide place, uh, that will always provide a place of refuge and comfort. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Our nations... Our rulers, our authorities, our plans were all created by God, which he is sovereign over, and the plans of his loving heart are forever. We'll continue to see God's omniscience um, described in uh, verses 13 through 15, where it says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Again, to some, this might sound terrifying, I know um, how, we've seen this play out in other contexts where somebody sees all things, you know, when we look back to Christmas and San and his idea of omniscience where it says, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good. Thanks, Kyle. Someone's got me there. <laughs> but that's kind of weird, right? <laughs> Some might hear that God sees all things and a reaction would be to perform similar to the way we want to do for Santa to get good things. But I urge you to resist that temptation when you hear this and lean into worship as the psalmist is calling us to. Again, what is important to remember in all of this, and especially in his omniscience, is to remember his context of the steadfast love. Possessing the trait of omniscience and not possessing love can be hurtful, coming from a bad place. When we see God's omniscience, we remember it from the context of his love, but we must also see it from his position as judge, where he will make all things right. This is true in instances of where we have been sinned against or where we have sinned against God. God is just and he will deal appropriately with what he sees. Today we find ourselves um, in a place where the concept of right and wrong is an ever-moving target driven by culture, but we should take great comfort knowing that God is ultimate judge and will make all things right. How do we resist that temptation to perform? 
knowing that God is omniscient? And how do we take comfort in knowing that God is judge and will appropriately deliver the penalty due? There is a penalty due and a price due for the wrongdoings that God sees. But if we lean into the temptation to save ourselves or perform, we ultimately fail and will never measure up to that penalty. The psalm continues to say, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might cannot rescue. A lot of opportunities to see performance. The psalmist here provides examples of seemingly strong things. People with great power, both politically and physically, power granted, power developed, power earned, power under the illusion of weapons. All these things of great might and performance but ultimately cannot rescue us from that penalty. Now the next part is the heart of the gospel, continuing in God's steadfast love, seeing God as creator, God as sovereign, God as omniscient, seeing all things. We put our hope in God's steadfast love and his deliverance and salvation. The psalm says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The psalm starts by pointing us to God's creation as a reason to worship, but we were made, in God, made as God's unique creation in his image. He continues to point us to his sovereignty that he is in control over all creation, including us. And third attribute, that he is omniscient, seeing all things, including you and me. God specifically knows us and sees us in our joy and in our sorrow. It says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. We are seen and he loves us. We are loved by God. And as people who fear him and put our hope in him, and as we are known and seen by him, he sent a way to deliver us in his son, Jesus. Earlier when talking about God's omniscience, I warned of the temptation to perform knowing that we have an audience trying to earn favor, and in God's justice, he'll deal rightly with the wrongs of this world. Continuing in that context of God's steadfast love, the Father sent Jesus to be perfect on our behalf and pay the penalty we deserve completely paying for any reason we might feel that need to perform. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, the sake, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, we, uh, so, that in, sorry, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For those that fear the Lord or put our hope in his steadfast love and declare Jesus as Lord, receive the righteousness of the Lord. And that's enough. The reality of God's salvation should never fall stale in our lives. While there might be a minute in your life where you can pinpoint where you first put your trust and hope in Jesus, I pray that we would be reminded of his salvation daily as we receive his grace daily, pointing us to sing a new song refreshed in his salvation. For those that are not there yet or have not put your faith in Jesus, I would invite you to receive God's love that is extended to you where man has failed, where our plans have been frustrated, where our performances have fallen flat, there is grace extended to you in Jesus and an invitation to receive his steadfast love for eternity. And again, that temptation there where maybe you might think your sin is too much to be saved, um, that's simply not true, and that love is for you today. The last three verses in this psalm change to a collective language as we um, approach it in the community, where he speaks as a whole, saying, Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our, Lord is, uh, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. This collective language gets to the heart of our context of worship and community, reminding us of God's love and hope 
placed in him, a testament to discipleship in the body. As we point each other to the things of God, we are drawn to worship. We are drawn to behold God, and we are drawn to sing anew. Now, this is why we value programs at Mosaic like Forge and Men's and Women's Bible Study, a body of believers pointing each other to the things of God and ultimately leading us to worship. And so collective language also ties us back to Pastor Robert's encouragement to worship in the context of community with all of us here today, rooted in God, praising God with a joyful excitement and holy reverence. May we be a people who behold God daily and are drawn to sing a new song refreshed in his grace. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that you are creator, that you are sovereign, that you have us, that you are in control, that you see all things, um, good and bad, God, and that you have sent a way to deliver us from evil. Um, We pray that we are reminded of those things daily as we approach um, our lives of worship here on Sunday and as we go out and about into the community, God, that we would be reminded of the goodness of who you are in the context of your love, rejoicing and singing refreshed in your name. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.